Hey, everybody. Welcome back or welcome to the show. Ashley Adamson here, sports broadcaster for the Pac-12 Network for at least another couple of months. Uh, very excited to have my good friend Sean Paul Balo back with me today for this fabulous episode and interview. She's an executive leadership coach. And Chantal, I, I just got to say, I, I know that we talked about, um, you know, when I first asked you if you wanted to come on and do some of these this year, I really feel like I wanted to share you with the world because I've learned so much from you. And it's been really cool to hear uh, now all these people reaching out saying, oh my gosh, that's Chantal. She's amazing. I've learned so much. My brain's getting rewired as I listen to your podcast. So thank you. Gosh, Ashley, thank you. It's an incredible joy and pleasure being able to co-host with you. Well, I'll tell you what. So I, I mentioned Pac-12. I've worked there for over 11 years. And, you know, I talk about how the people that you get to meet through the work is the, is the best part of the job. And today we're going to have a conversation with one of my all-time favorite colleagues who I got to know um, through the Pac-12. Her name is Tammy Blackburn. She's a, a basketball analyst, uh, but she calls everything like soccer, softball, cross country, you name it. She could She could call it. Uh, she was a big time athlete herself. She played basketball at San Diego state. She is just, I don't know how to describe her other than that. Like she is so dedicated to her craft. She is so kind and loving. She loves sports, loves competition, and she's inspiring in every way. Um, she's living with stage four metastatic breast cancer. And I think for those of, of you who may not know, like there is no cure for metastatic breast cancer. And that's something that Tammy has taught me a lot about, well, a lot of things, but how we talk about cancer, what it means. There are, you know, there are treatments that can shrink or slow its progress when you're at stage four, but there is no cure and the reality of what it's like to live with that. She's had several back surgeries. She's in constant treatment and yet out there working on basketball games and doing things. So Chantal, I'm excited for you to meet her. And I think just before we welcome her on, I'd say like, I don't know anyone that hasn't been impacted by cancer in some way, shape or form. Um, I think the thing on my mind entering into this conversation, um, and Tammy, I'm so delighted to get to know, is just how little we actually do talk about cancer and ultimately how little we talk about death. And, you know, this podcast is your story and all of us have a beginning, a middle and an end to our story. Um, and any good story has that arc. And I just am really curious, of course, to know more about Tammy's story and also the relationship that any of us have to death and how that can actually enhance the way we live and make it even more fulfilling and deeper and more meaningful and simultaneously how it can make it really painful and really hard. Um, and so I'm so grateful to Tammy for being willing to share elements of her story. Yeah. Uh, just as always beautifully said. And I think for those of you, if you, if you watch college basketball this month, you've probably seen a lot of teams wearing pink. February is when teams have their play for K games. Um, K Al was of course was the NC state basketball coach who died of breast cancer in 2009. And so much money has been raised by the K Al cancer fund. They do unbelievable work. Tammy's been involved with them and has done a lot to raise awareness and money and action and all of that. So, and I think one of the things too, that I'll just say, and then we'll welcome her on, but the attention this month on breast cancer is is important and critical and wonderful. But Tammy's also talked to me about like there's something about the wear pink movement that's missing the mark a little bit. So we'll get her perspective on that, uh, her take on the power of play in our lives, which I think is is such an important thing to to think about no matter where you are, um, and also what she wants people to understand about her story and living with stage four cancer. So enjoy this conversation with a dear friend and all time human being. Tammy Blackburn. 
Tammy, it is so good to see you as it always is. Thanks so much for making the space and time for this. Um, we've had many conversations over the years that we've gotten to know each other, but we've, we've never been able to do something like this. So, so I'm excited to have a little bit of time and space to explore this. And I'll just start off by asking, like, we always say, how are you coming into this? Like set the scene. How are you doing right now in this, right now in this moment today? Yeah, it's such, such, such an honor to be here. And thank you so much for this space. I mean, this is so important. I, I rarely get an opportunity to be in a space like this where we can actually have some real talk, right? Because there's a lot of positivity surrounding stage four cancer because people want to, I think by nature, they want to be positive for other people. That's sort of how we're wired for the most part. But there is there's some real information out there that needs to be shared. And I think that this space is just so critical and it comes at a at a time where there'll be a lot of celebration in the month of February surrounding the color pink that was chosen to recognize people who live with breast cancer and survivors and thrivers as they call them. And your question about how I'm doing right now and how I'm coming into this space is so, I think it's so timely because I mean, I'm barely coming out of a really rough period. I think I just within the last couple of weeks kind of got on the other side of a very dark time for me and probably one of the darkest times I've ever been through. And I will tell you from July through November, December was, you know, probably the hardest time of, of my life, maybe even more challenging than the initial phone call I got six years ago from an oncologist saying that you have cancer. And sometimes I don't know how to how to provide context or wait, what's more you know, difficult to deal with. But I can tell you that, you know, September was a very dark month for me, especially the month of September. Um, so I'm just coming into this space, kind of just coming onto the other side of darkness and things are pretty bright now and I'm feeling good. So thank you so much for asking. What was it about September in general, Tammy? And I know, I mean, I, mean, I don't think I mentioned in the intro that you did just have uh, major back surgery in October. So what, what what was it about that time period that felt particularly dark? Yeah, I had major back surgery in July and it didn't work. And my back broke in September. And to not have success with back surgery is really deflating, you know, for a lot of reasons. And this is what cancer does. And, you know, the cancer treatment can be very cruel and um, the fact that the surgery in July didn't hold and my back broke, I broke my lumbar five vertebrae and it became to the point where I couldn't walk. And if we can have some real talk here, which I want to, this is what I want to say. I lost control of my bladder and I ended up having to wear adult diapers for several weeks. And I will tell you, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that people, they, they can listen to this podcast, watch this podcast and they can laugh that I'm saying this. This is real. This is actually what I did. And, you know, I'm 52 years old and I'm a former competitive athlete and I'm laying in my bed, hardly able to walk and I'm wearing adult diapers. And I'm thinking to myself, what on earth has happened to you? And where did this go so wrong? Um, and then I went into emergency surgery on October 6th and everything got fixed. And I think for the last, you know, couple of months where I knew that I was recovering, things have gotten brighter slowly, but imagine being that young and being a former athlete and, and losing control of your bladder and having to wear adult diapers. It's, it's humiliating. And yet at the same time, it's what my life was for several weeks. 
Thank you for that real talk. Cause I think that's, the, that's, that's what I, and that's what I want to do today too, Tammy. Like I, I think just being able to actually say the things that we don't, I, I just think that we don't talk about, like our culture is so, I don't know, bad at being able to talk about stuff that is real. And for all of the conversation around, you know, cancer and treatments and all this stuff, like, but to actually talk to somebody who is dealing with it and what those side effects are and what it's actually like to live with it, I think is, is really important. So thank you for, for that. And I, you know, when you say my life is not pink, because that was, those were words that you said to me when we did a, a feature together several years ago. And that this like kind of tug of war in the month of February, you're, you feel happy and excited and grateful that there's a lot of people talking about breast cancer. And also there's, there's other emotions that are attached to that. So I would just ask you to kind of lay out like the, the commercialization, I think, and, and we've said it like sexualization of breast cancer awareness is a weird dynamic. You know, it, it really is. And I think what's happened is um, I think greed has gotten the best of this. Mm. And sadly, I think we see this in other areas of our society. In fact, I know we see this in other areas of society. Greed can just be, you know, the root of all evils in my, in my mind, because if your self-value is not more important than your net value, then I feel like you're lost. And I'm, I'm somebody who moves through my life um, with valuing myself and where I am with my family and my circle of friends. And I don't worry too much about my net value. Now, you have to worry about your finances and you have to make money and you have to do all those things to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. But let's talk about greed and let's talk about the companies that actually exploit breast cancer. And that greed comes from you know, commercialization, right? So let's talk about that. You go to the store in the month of February and you see a display of Lay's potato chips or, you know, any, any sort of, you know, display there of food that you have in a grocery store. And there's pink bags of potato chips. There are pink canned goods. There are uh, cookies that are pink, that are wrapped with pink, that talk about, um, you know, breast cancer and how the proceeds from the sale of this product will actually go to cancer research. Now, I challenge you in the month of February to do one thing, pick up that product and turn around and look on the back or somewhere in the small print and find out where the proceeds go and how much of that sale would actually go to cancer research. And I think that your eyes would be entirely open. And that to me is commercialization. And then you have what you mentioned is the sexualization where you have slogans like save the tatas or help the men get to second base. And I, I just think that that is such a smack in the face to us. And like, I'm not saving my tatas for anybody. I'll tell you, like, I get to choose who I'm saving the tatas mm -hmm. for. There's no company that's going to tell me, right? Like that, that's my choice. Okay. And uh, yet at the same time, here we are in a society that, you know, save the tatas and let's help our men, you know, round second base or get to second base is, I just feel like it's, it's so cruel and so insensitive. Yeah. One thing that's coming up for me, Tammy, you know, just knowing your history as an athlete, which I draw a set of assumptions, right? I mean, you have done a lot, I imagine, to take care of your body, right? To know your body, to tune into your body so that you can be at peak performance, and you're now in a place where I imagine your relationship to your body is really different, right? Given what is out of your control, given what the disease is doing to your body. Can you just talk a little bit about that, about what it is like being in your body now? Oh my gosh, Chantal, I'm so glad that you asked that question because 
when I first went to the clinic and I was filling out the survey and I was telling the doctors, you know, who I am and what my health is like. And I checked all the boxes for never smoker, right? That was one of the questions, never smoker. How much do you drink? What's your diet like? And all those things I have to say, you know, I checked all the good boxes because that's how I lived my life. And yeah, I like to go out and have a little cocktail here and there. I mean, who does that? Nothing wrong with that, Jamie. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, Ashley and I might've had a glass of wine a couple weeks ago together. (laughs) Maybe just a couple. But I think, yes, Chantal, I took very good care of my body. And in essence, my body has turned against me. And that is not only a physical challenge for me, but it's more of a mental thing to get through because you sort of feel betrayed. Um, Actually, you don't sort of feel, you, you actually feel betrayed by your own body. Like that's your temple, that's your place. And Um, It's a very difficult thing to know that what you did didn't work and you carry a lot of guilt for that. And the guilt is what will really get you like, what, what, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? And my oncologist had to remind me that, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. And it's really hard. It's really hard to cope with that. And I've I've had to learn coping skills. And Chantal, I'm, I'm curious to know, like, when you talk to people as a life coach, like coping skills are so important to build. And like, how do we get to a place where we can have the right coping skills for something that's just so harsh? What, what have you learned about that? Well, I learned that it's not my fault for what, what has happened to me. That's the most, that's the singular most important thing because I felt like maybe, you know, it was my fault. And now we know, and I know that this isn't my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And yet that was a pretty big burden that I carried for a pretty long time. And then how you maneuver through when it is attacking you and when it's not, I think is, is something that is challenging because this is a roller coaster ride. I mean, you're just on a roller coaster where your body will go into there's cancer progression after a PET scan. And now we've got to go down this road of treatment versus I might have six or eight good months where I don't have any progression. And those are the best results. So it's a roller coaster ride and I, you go up and down with it. It's kind of, kind of like getting in an elevator and riding, getting off on one floor and doing your thing. And then you get back in the elevator and you ride it up and down all the time. Yeah. I mean, one thing that comes up for me, right. And so many of us live our lives with an illusion of control, you know, that somehow if we do all the right things, we can be guaranteed that X, Y, or Z would, are, is going to happen. Um, and it feels there's just an acute awareness that you have now of how little control there is for any of us, right? And yet when you're battling what you're battling, it is just even more attuned to, oh, right, <laughs> like it, I don't know when the next turn will happen and what that will mean for me. What is that? What's that uncertainty like? I think the hardest one of the hardest conversations, multiple conversations that I had with my oncologist and then my top therapist, Caroline Cardenas, who is a very good friend and um, just helped me. She's a nurse oncologist as well. And she lost her mom to breast cancer at a young age. And she went through a lot of control stuff. And for me, I think the, the conversation that helped me get over that hump, because think about it, as an athlete, I kind of I was in control, right? Like I could... I had a lot of people around me who could fix my twisted ankle. I had a lot of people who could stitch my eye if I got hit by an elbow during the game and still play. You know, there were things that we could control and I could control um, how I, you know, approached practice and we could, 
you know, scout and, and do the things that we knew we had to adjust and change. And, and we were in the driver's seat and suddenly I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. And I have to say that when my doctors gave me permission to relinquish control, that was the best conversation I had. And it, it took us a while and multiple conversations to get to a place where they said, you're not giving yourself permission to relinquish control. So we're giving you permission to do that because we're going to do the science and we've got control of that. And you have to take care of this. So we'll do the physical science. You do this and we'll partner. And that's how we're going to control this. It was, it was amazing. It was so enlightening. It was like, I didn't even think like, yeah, okay. I don't, I don't have to control this because I have other people who can control it with their sort of, you know, their armamentarium, like their toolbox of medication. And that was the best conversation I had. You mentioned Caroline Cardenas, who I got to meet when we did a, a panel with, with you and her, and she is just amazing. I mean, on every level, I feel like everyone needs a, a Caroline in their life. I love what she talks about and what you have then brought into my world too about the power of play and how important that is both for, you know, you talk about your mental appear and what, what, how important it is to take care of that. Can you kind of just for people describe um, what Caroline's work is about and, and what she does and, and why you sent me like the best hula hoop of all time that my kids still play with almost every night? Yeah. And I still have not mastered the hula hoop and I have multiple ones that I bought from Caroline and um, she's just, uh, she's an amazing person who understands the value of making sure that part of your everyday life is play because when we're growing up in our formative years, you know, that's who we are as children, you know, it's that playtime that allows us to be free and, and we're, we're sort of liberated from any sort of burdens. And as we grow and we take on challenges as, you know, teenagers and then young adults, and we try to get into college and the pressures, you know, that play sort of, it's like, where is that play? Are we bringing in a play into our life? Because our body holds on to so much of the stress and the negative that we've got to have a place to release that. And you can do that through play. And we shouldn't forget that just because we're older doesn't mean that we can't enjoy play the way that in the same way that we did as children. It might look a little different. I mean, you know, I don't know. I like to do different things for play, but um, it's certainly going to look different than being at a playground or what have you. But it's so important. And, um, you know, I used to love to roller skate and listen to disco at the same time because I'm I'm just such like a disco music person. I love all genres, but disco just gets me going. I put on my roller skates and, you know, just kind of do. Yeah, like do the moves and I can't quite do that right now because my back is recovering, but I'm guaranteeing you, I'm putting my roller skates back on. And then one of these days, you and I are going to have a hula hoop competition, Ashley. I swear we have to. <laughs> I'm in. I, I I mean, count count me in. Count me yeah. in. I, I love that. And I, I do think I want to double back to something that, um, you know, when you talk about the language when it comes to cancer mm -hmm. and, and even, and it's, it's just in our vernacular, right? Like Chantal said it battling. I, that's how I, you know, battle fight. Don't wave the white flag. Like there's all this wartime language around cancer and how people are dealing with it. And I just wonder for you, um, as someone who's living with stage four cancer, like what, does that feel right? Like what is, when we talk about battling and fighting and not giving up and not, we've no, like what comes up for you when, when that is the vernacular and kind of the language that we use? 
So it, when, when people say that, I know that their intentions are so, so heartfelt, you know, that's the first thing I have to understand is that, and accept is that I know it's very heartfelt. I know what they mean, but it's very difficult to hear because we're, we're at a starting line with cancer. Okay. So imagine we're at a race and we look over and cancer is right next to us. And we're going to go on this very long for me at stage four. It's a very long race. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And I have to spot cancer with about a whole lap advantage because that's how intelligent this disease is. Cancer is a very intelligent disease. And you spot cancer with a lap and all I'm doing is chasing it. So to battle something that is so smart and so intelligent that has um, you know, all the ammunition that it needs to attack our bodies. And we have no ammunition except the resources that we're, we're given from our doctors, um, which, by the way, don't cure us at stage four, which you mentioned, and I'm glad. Um, it's an unfair advantage, and it puts a huge burden on us because we feel like we have to chase something and win a battle that we already know, like we're, we're not going to win. Like I'm not, I'm not going to beat cancer people. That's another one of the languages too, is beat cancer, right? Like I beat cancer. I'm not beating cancer. I'm living with cancer and because I can't beat this and I can't, I can't always wake up and fight. Some days I just have to not fight because I can't, you know, I don't have the bandwidth and I can't battle because I have nothing in my hands to battle it with. So um, it's really, and it puts a big burden on patients. And I think, I think patients that I know want me to share that. They, they don't have platforms to share that, but I know they want that to be shared. So um, like, you know, different language that we can use is, um, you know, the other one is you got this. And it's like, oh, I don't know some days. I don't feel like I always got this. You know, I really don't. And when, when you asked me like where I was in September and October, I didn't got this, you know, not during that time. I wonder, Tammy, and I, I appreciate you sharing all of that and all of this, of course, but I, I do think people struggle with how to check in. Like they want to be helpful, supportive, positive, and I think they also struggle with what to say. I always am reminded of Martha Thomas when she came on our podcast last year and we just reposted the episode last week. Um, she lost her daughter, Ella, to suicide. And she said, our dog died three months later. And people knew more how to reach out to us and talk to us and check in about that than they did with Ella. And so, I, and that just like sits in my head so much because you don't want to bother people and you don't want to have it be that it's always, so what advice would you give to people who want to be supportive, who want to be friends, who want to show up and don't always necessarily know how, like what, what would you say to that? Well, there's one thing I've learned through this process and that patients like me and many, many others who I've talked to about this very topic, and it's an important topic because we need our tribe going through this, right? And if we don't have people show up, we don't have a tribe. And that tribe is what gets us through a lot of dark times. But the one thing I've learned is that Oftentimes patients want to actually have a conversation with their friends or with those people who don't know how to show up that says, how do you want me to talk to you about this? Do you want me to be positive? Because some patients want positivity. They don't want to hear anything negative, right? So they want that positivity. They want the, you got this. I'm here for you. You keep going. We're backing you. We love you. You're not alone. And then there are some patients who would tell you, 
Like, I don't, I don't need that because that's not how it is for me all the time. You know, I like positivity, but I want you to tell me that this sucks and that I'm sorry for you that this happened to you. So the best thing you can do is to, if you run into somebody that you love and care about, or you're in that circle where somebody is just diagnosed is to have an open conversation with them to say, how can I talk to you through this? What, what do you need? What do you need to hear? Because sometimes it's just what we need to hear that helps us. But if we hear the wrong thing, we are triggered. And so if we don't tell you, and it's not, it's on us too, to tell you, um, but I think the best thing to do is to have the first step is to have an open conversation about, about what it is that your needs are around vernacular and, and just talking. And I, you know, we have a good friend in, in Ann Schatz, our colleague at the PAC 12, and she will just text me sometimes and she'll just go, how you doing? I know it's a dark time for you. This blows, this sucks. And I'm really sorry. And then like, I start laughing because like you're reading this text and you're like, this blows. And you're like, yeah, this blows, like this sucks, you know? And you just get fired up, you know? And so that's kind of what we need. It sounds silly, but it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to say it does not sound silly. Um, I think one of the things that I'm curious about is um, I think we as humans have so much discomfort around topics related to illness, grief, loss, death, like that whole terrain is oftentimes, you know, it, it, there aren't topics that we necessarily cover with regularity. I think there's almost this worry of, oh gosh, it's going to be a Pandora's box. Then it will be emotionally untenable. I won't know what to say. There will be big emotions. Um, and so we keep ourselves at a distance so that we don't upset anyone, say the wrong thing, tiptoe, et cetera. And I think there's just mm -hmm. this opportunity, right? Because what you're saying is actually just ask and just be yeah. curious about where are you and what do you need or offering kind of a buffet of here's what I can do for you, right? Do you need humor? Do you need to vent? Do you need to sob? Like what is available? Um, are you able to share a little bit more? You use this great example are you able to share other examples of just kind of what it's meant to you to be in real connection with people who have leaned into perhaps some of their own discomfort in this way and what that's meant to you and what it's done? I've seen it help them and strengthen our friendship through this, because I think what happens is the minute they hear uh, me share with them sort of what my needs are and that I, you know, I can actually like, Talking about cancer is, is okay with me. Like for me, it's okay. It's not okay for every patient. And I get that. Like everybody is different. I'm, I am an open book and Ashley knows that about me. I want to talk about it as much as I can. And I'm not afraid to have tough conversations. And my oncologists appreciate that because you can either bury your head in the sand or you can get up and you can you know, go with it. And it's, it's okay. If you're that person who wants to bury your head in the sand, that's okay. This is a tough disease. It's hard. It's okay. Nobody's judging you, but for me, it's, it's going to be the other way. And so I've strengthened my friendships through having those conversations and I've seen it become um, easier for them to understand cancer. And that that's important because now we're advocating and we're sharing awareness and that person then runs into somebody else in their life and now they have a little bit more experience on how to approach, you know, that person or what they need. And so that's probably the biggest thing, Chantal, is that the connection has grown stronger with me and those people who now understand 
what I need. And Ashley knows she can call me and she can say, how are you doing today? Because that's generally how she will text me. She'll say, like, if we haven't talked in a long time because of our busy schedule, she'll just say, checking in, how are you doing today? And that yeah. word today is like so important. And so she knows because it may not be how I felt a week ago, right? So it's like, where am I in today? And that that shows me that we've come a long way in our friendship on how to talk to each other. And I think Ashley would probably agree with this that she probably is, I don't want to say better because she's already great, but like she's a better communicator with maybe other people in her life in the future with cancer because she's had the experience with me. Tammy, I will tell you 1 million percent, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to jump in and say the same thing. You have taught me and opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I just, I'm really grateful to you because it has been that, and it's vulnerable for someone. It sounds silly, but like, you know, on, on the other end of it, you're like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I want to be there for you in the way that you, you know, you, you want me to be there for, but I don't really know what that looks like. And so even you just giving the advice, which I think is wonderful. And I hadn't heard that before of asking people, what do you need? Like, what is it? How do you want me to show up for this? How do you want to talk about this? But you, that, that little change of, and you were the one that told me this, like, it's just checking in and saying, how are you doing right now? Like, how are you doing today? And I have other friends who are, you know, doing different things or are dealing with illness or loss or grief or death. And it is that, how are you doing right now today? Mm. You helped me so much understand the difference of that than saying, how are you doing? Like, well, we know how you're doing. Like there's, there's a lot that you have going on. What do you want to get into? How am I doing? Like, yeah. But how are you doing right now in this moment? I think is a, you really helped me think about that. I, I also just want to double back on, and I, I would love for both Tammy and Chantal, if you've got a, a thought to follow on this, but our inability to talk about death and, and why it is so, um, I don't know if it's like taboo or just there's a lot of discomfort, as Chantel said, when it, when it comes to all of that. And you, you said something to me the other day about palliative care, like has opened your eyes to a lot of things, Tammy. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, understanding that side of it, I would just, whatever you have to offer around what you have learned about talking about death, dealing with it, thinking about it, the importance of that and how it can impact actually how we're living. And this isn't just for people who are dealing with stage four cancer. It's with people who are healthy, like our inability to talk about it. So what, what, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, it is an uncomfortable topic, right? For anybody. I mean, naturally, I think the human spirit doesn't want to kind of go there, um, you know, in many ways. And yet that is the reality of what will eventually happen to us at what point in time we don't know. And we don't have control of that. And that's another thing. It's like the control piece kind of comes into this, but you know, death was sort of um, kind of shoved in my face pretty promptly when I got the second call because on September 1st, 2017 was my first call, but I was stage three and that's curable. And my intent along with the healthcare team was to cure me and I was cured for all but six months. And so then, then the phone call came and that's when death sort of stared me right in the face. And that is a whole different level. Like you're, we're talking like a whole different level of going through talk therapy and acceptance and coping skills. I mean, what a different conversation. And I'm sure Chantal, you can speak to this, that that's a very different appointment for you or conversation um, when somebody's coming at you with that. So death was something I did want to talk about with my oncologist, even though the good news for me, and I'm so fortunate because so many people have lost their lives and I'm just, I'm so moved and, and so sad by those who, 
who don't survive this disease. Um, but I, I haven't had anything life-threatening to this point. I've had some bad situations, but we've come through them. Yet death is always a very real possibility because it could, you know, my next scan could show something that just would not be good. So I wanted to address it. And we did. And the one thing I learned is that there are ways um, for people like me, when that time comes and my body decides to shut down, that there will be comfort care and that there are ways to control pain and that it can be a process that doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be a dark cloud. If that, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but when, when you have comfort care and end of life care that can be comfortable and peaceful, it makes death for me so much easier to accept. And so the fact that I know that that's there is like, it just, it just sort of relieved me in, in a way. And it, it took a, it took a piece of sort of anxiety out of my, out of my heart. Uh, because nobody wants to suffer at the end, you know, and end of life is, is really a tough time for anybody. So um, I learned a lot about that. And, you know, I've been in palliative care. Um, I'm sort of in and out of palliative care. And the other thing I learned about palliative care is that when you're in palliative care, you're not necessarily dying. And that is, I, I think that's something that most people don't understand. And I remember telling my family like, oh, I'm going to, a, to see a palliative care you know, oncologist who works with Dr. Shatsky. And, you know, everybody was like flipping out. What do you mean? Is this it? Like, what have you not told me? And I said, no, palliative care is managing pain and, and managing emotions. And so um, there's so much surrounding that, that I did not know until it was thrown in my face. And now I'm just so much more knowledgeable about it. And yet I will tell you, Ashley, I told you that death, pun intended, scared me to death my whole life. And now it kind of, it kind of doesn't scare me anymore if I if I know more about it. Yeah, can you share more about that? Because it feels counterintuitive, right? I think sometimes we don't want to talk about death because we worry it's contagious or we worry we will almost jinx it into coming sooner than we would want. What is it about almost getting close to it, befriending it in some ways, understanding the dimensions, presumably knowing women who have lost their lives to this? Yeah. How, how has that made you actually less fearful? I think the knowledge is power. I think knowledge is power for me. And when you ask questions and you become educated and I, you know, I think you just use the word befriend. And it's so funny because I, for, for so long, like I couldn't go to my family's funerals if they were open casket because I just, I just, it was so, it sends me to a place I, I can't even tell you. I barely even made it to my grandmother's funeral and I was so close with her and my mom had to walk me up to the casket. And yet I have come to a place now to accept that death is something that's going to happen to all of us. And when I could understand that some sooner than others, sadly, uh, when I could accept that and I had the knowledge of how that might look for me at the end, it just, it turned my whole mindset around because I think Chantal, I'll be honest with you. My, my biggest thing about death was that it was just going to be so bloody painful because all I've seen about cancer patients in the past is it is so painful and they just, and, and I still, I still think it can be, obviously there's a lot of pain in death with cancer, 
but they do the best they can to control it. And I think just knowing that the comfort care will be there, that that knowledge was so much powerful for me. And I think power can shift your mindset. Um, knowledge can shift your mindset because when you don't know, you you don't know. And and then you and then your head goes to a place that it kind of spins out of control, right? Like it's on a swivel and it just starts going to places. It's like me telling a a friend who just gets newly diagnosed with stage one or stage two. I could easily tell them now, now, because I have knowledge and I have a little power and authority. I could say, don't worry. Well, I can't say don't worry. I could, but I would never say that because that's impossible for my friend not to worry, right? Because we're human. But I could tell her or him that there are great medications, there is great support. Um, you will be in a process where you'll be treated and because I'm so much more knowledgeable, I couldn't say that six years ago. I didn't know. Yeah. Tammy, I, I think about, um, I mean, there's so many, so many more things that we could ask, I could ask you about and so many different threads I want to, I want to pull, but I think when you, there's this feeling of, and you know, this, this conversation, and we talked a lot about this last year on the podcast about the bucket list, like having bucket list items and, Part of me feels like, and Chantal shared a, an amazing article, we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, about how like really bucket list maybe isn't the term that we should be thinking about. It isn't just that we need to go collect all these more experiences before we die, like that let's rethink about maybe what that is. And I just, for you, I think another way to ask that question that a friend of mine said the other day is like, do you have unfinished business? Is there anything that you feel like that you're like, I want to make sure that I'm doing this or more of this or living in this way? Um, now that you have, you know, again, addressed something and looked at something in the face that a lot of people go through their whole lives and don't look at, stare it down the mirror. Yeah. So I, it's going to be really important for me to continue to advocate and I, I want to help others. So, so much so that I think about it every day. Um, I'm constantly thinking about what I can do for others who are living with this or those that will eventually be living with this. And I know that we're making strides. I know that we're getting there. I know the importance of cancer research. I don't think for a minute that in my lifetime, there's going to be a cure for what I have. Um, I'm pretty confident that that's never going to come my way because I've had some real conversations with um, doctors and scientists and I've been to, you know, um, conferences and, and I, I just, I don't think that we are going to get there. Uh, but I, I do believe that we can, or I believe that we could have better medication that has fewer side effects and also gives us more time. Mm -hmm. And the two things I have to share that I think about a lot, and I talk to my oncologist about a lot, and, and it's kind of how I live my life. It's not a bucket list thing. It's I just want quality of life, fewer side effects, quality of life, and I want time. Those are the two things that I want. And I, I want to just live every day and whether or not I'm doing a bucket list item, because I'm not going to lie, I have a few things on a bucket list, but I don't have to answer a bucket list. Um, I just want to live. I want to live and I want to help others. And I want to raise money for cancer research as much as I can. I want there to be like, I'm around women's basketball players a lot. And I think about that was me, right? That was me not all that long ago, actually pretty long ago. Um, <laughs> It's all relative. <laughs> Not that long. Exactly. It's all relative. <laughs> um, age is just a number. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I look at them and I think when I'm at shoot around or practice or if I'm calling a game and I think about, I do the math, right? And I look around and I go, oh, about three of those people are going to get a phone call. Mm. And that's the reality. They're going to get that same phone call that I got. So, so what I want for them is I want there to be medica- better medication for them than there is for me today. I want them to be told that they're going to have more time than maybe I have a smaller window of time diagnosed with stage four. I want them to have a, a long runway. You know, I don't even want them at the very end of the day. I don't want there to be an end to this. I want them to be able to say that, you know, they'll, they'll outlive cancer and that they'll die from something else. And that's what I think about every day is how can I get us there? And all I know how to do right now with that, and I'm learning, but all I know how to do with that is to partner with people who care, who can raise money for cancer research, because that's how we're going to get there. And that's how we're going to better the medicine for the people that I spend a lot of time with, who I know one day will get that call. One one thing that's coming up for me, you know, Tammy, a bit ago, we were talking about, um, you know, some of these coping strategies. And I am just so freaking struck by your ability to repeatedly hold these paradoxes as though they actually aren't paradoxes, right? I mean, everything from hula hooping and inviting play and roller skating to disco music and simultaneously taking your treatment very seriously and taking mm-hmm. your care very seriously. Um, you know, what you were just talking about here in terms of accepting death when it is time and when your body it can no longer and simultaneously ensuring that you are doing everything possible to secure as much time as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you just said of you have like ambitious goals, right? You're like, okay, I have work to do. And simultaneously, there's this simplicity of actually, you know, I want time and to be with the people I love. And yeah. I just think those tensions are so hard for people to hold. And at least from the work that I do, it's one of the most powerful coping mechanisms. Mm. Because otherwise, we're fighting so hard to think we have to take it seriously or we have to take it lightly. And this ability to hold both seems pretty profound in terms of how you live and operate. Is that something that you feel like that has kind of come naturally to you? Do you think that this diagnosis was an unfortunate forcing mechanism to be able to do that? What do you What do you know about that? Yeah, you know, when I first got diagnosed, I actually was thinking this is so crazy, but I was like, well, you know, I, I can see why this happened to me. I'm kind of built for this. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking like, no, you know, like, I don't think anybody is yes. really built for this. Like nobody is built for this. But like you, you sort of believe that like my basketball training and I'm sort of well-equipped to handle this. And yet at the same time, I realized that like, you know, I could be as well-equipped from that experience. And yet, man, I'm going to feel, you know, pretty down and out. So I think I just, I think I'm just wired in a way that I just have the ability and I don't know where it comes from. I have the ability to kind of compartmentalize and separate the two and, and address the two the way that I need to. And I've learned a lot from my oncologist about showing up for treatment and how important it is and how serious it is. And I, you know, if you've ever been to an infusion center, it's the unhappiest place on earth. It is honestly the unhappiest place on earth and it's terrible to go there. And yet you have to walk into it. You have to accept it. You have to sit in that chair um, and you have to be there. And when you leave, you know, you have to process what you just went through and you need a little time for that. 
Um, but then I think it's also important to go back to that whole finding balance with play and whatever play looks like for you. So I think, you know, maybe it is sort of just something I was born with the ability to do. I hate that I have to do it. I really do. And yet I'm okay doing it. I'm, I'm okay, you know, um, and I will do it and I won't stop doing it. And, uh, I do think that I have a lot of years left and, um, and whether that happens or not is not in my control. So I'll just, um, I'll just kind of live like that, you know, every day. And I'm not in denial, Chantal, you know, I don't think I'm in no, denial. No, that's what's amazing. You're like, I accept it. I'm not in denial and screw this. I've got things to do and yeah. things to take care of it. That, no, it, it, it's what's so remarkable about mm. you know, getting to know you is these things that are paradoxical that actually you seem to hold quite effortlessly and recognize they're both true. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's, um, <laughs> I was just about to say it's a battle every day, but I can't say the B word. <laughs> I'd absolutely like to say that. <laughs> uh, I think I was watching a, a video that you sent me, Tammy, um, and I love that the Big West did this feature on you. And, and you talk about, you know, the young woman reporter who was, who was interviewing you said how brave you are. Mm. And I will echo, like, I think of all of the qualifiers and adjectives and things I could say to describe you, like that, that should be the one that we lead with, because I think you like, you are brave and watching you go through what you've gone through and the way that you continue to show up. I mean, I, I will you know, when we go to Vegas for the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament, so Tammy calls, um, you know, there's two, the first two days of the tournament, you're calling back-to-back -back games. It's a bear. Like, yeah. it's a lot for just for, for anybody. And then I think about physically where you've been for the last couple of tournaments and just, I look over at you and you're so in it and it's like, I'm in awe. Like I just, it is so unbelievable the way that you can show up and do your job and like no one at home listening would have any idea um, that you're dealing with what you're dealing with on the back end and inside and, and that your body's in pain and that, you know, and I just, I, there was that moment when, you know, I think it was Heather Vaughn and, and Teresa Gould at the conference, they brought out these huge bouquet of flowers for you. And I think players yeah. came and brought flowers to you. And it was, I mean, I was, and we had to go on the air and I'm like in full tears. And it was, yeah. I just hope that you do continue to feel um, that love that so many people have for you. And you said something when we did um, a story a few years ago about, you know, let's make sure that we honor people while they're still here. We talk a lot about honoring people after they're gone, but like, let's honor the people while they're here. So I guess that's a long-winded way of, of me asking you, like, how do you want to be honored when you're here? Oh gosh, I, I don't even feel like I need to be honored because I feel like my honor every day is that I get to be around people like you and I get to be part of something, you know, like this. And, um, you know, I'm so loved and I've never lived a day in my life without feeling that I am so loved. I grew up in a very loving family, a very big family with a lot of love and a lot of chaos and a lot of laughs and a lot of crazy holidays and fun and love and, and a lot of stress too, you know, that comes with that. I mean, we all have our things, but um, I'm so loved and I want to give love because I, because I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. Even when I'm not okay, um, I'm, I'm actually kind of still okay. And I have a lot of love to give. And so I think the best way 
to honor me is to allow me to love and to share and to give back uh, because that is what um, brings joy to my heart. And it's important, it's important to find joy when cancer takes a lot of joy away from, um, from your life. And so um, if I might, you know, I, I don't think I need to be honored, but if I might answer the question, I would say, just let me love and let me share and let me help others. That's the best way to, to honor me is to give me that, that room and that space and help me if you can, you know, um, because that's, uh, that's important. And that's how we're going to make, that's how we're going to make change. That's the most Tammy Blackburn answer that I could have ever imagined. <laughs> um, I, if people do want to help, they're listening to this and say, Hey, I want to, you know, I, I would love to support this research and the science. And I mean, things are being developed in real time. I know that like, it's amazing to think about how mm -hmm. far we have come and you talked about it. Where would you advise people to spend their money to donate? What would be the yeah. easiest thing to do? Yeah, I think there's, there's so many, I think obviously the, I think the top, the top one and the, and just because it's not for me, it's not just about breast cancer, but I think American Cancer Society does a very good job. Uh, and I also think that Meta, Metaviver is something that would be maybe a little bit more uh, in tune with what I'm going through. So I give to them. Certainly the um, Kayao Fund is a place that does some really good work and, and very, very important in the breast cancer uh, family. Um, and any place that, you know, you feel if this is about cancer that you are pretty sure and it's a good organization, you know, just make a small donation of any amount and any amount really matters. And if you can't give um, your uh, your treasure, maybe you could give your time. And if you can't give your time, then maybe you can give your talent and your skill. There's so many things that we all as humans have to offer and there. It doesn't always have to be money, you know, and, and it's OK. Um, the fact that you all gave this space today and that this is going to go out is worth its weight in gold. And, um, that's, this is a gift, honestly, like this is a gift because there's, again, this, I, I love that this has been real talk because there's so many things that people just don't know, you know, that I learned about, um, that I'm still reeling with today. And I, I have a lot of things that I have to deal with every day that my body doesn't work in certain ways. And, um, and when you find out what those things are, cause nobody, nobody told me that when I had a massive lumpectomy that, and again, if I can get real here, you know, nobody told me that, you know, my nipple was sensitivity. Like I, I don't have a left nipple. It's like a flat tire. It's gone. You know, and I didn't, I didn't know that my whole lymphatic system on that side was taken out. All the nerves were cut out. And so you know, I have one nipple that works and one that doesn't work. And this flat tire, I just want to go, you know, drive into an automotive center and fill it up and get it back working. But, you know, it doesn't work. And then there's problems with that and your lymphatic system. And um, <laughs> I know this is funny, but this is what really, this is what really life is for, for me. And you wouldn't look at me and understand that or know that. But think about how that affects people, you know, and they're, and the important parts of their life where we're, you know, um, in relationships and we're intimate and things like that. And nobody wants to say it. And yet I want to shout it from the rooftops because that is real stuff. I mean, that's real stuff. That's why you're terrible. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, no. And Tammy, and listening to you, I mean, you know, I have, I have not had the experience you're having. One thing that comes up for me is um, childbirth and, you know, that kind of postpartum era where it's, uh, I, I very much experienced the, okay, and now get back to life. And now you are taking care of a small mm-hmm. child, but you just continue. To function. <laughs> exactly. Right. And my body feels totally different and my life has been turned upside down. And this is now for the rest of my life. This is, this will yeah. not, this will be a constant, how am I evolving and changing through this experience? And obviously a completely different experience. Um, but mm-hmm. again, I think as a culture, we just aren't good at understanding that this is ever present, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you had the surgery. Okay. Well, that's great. That sounds like that's complete check. And yet what you're talking about are all these repercussions and these unexpected twists and turns and how those impact you emotionally and physically and having to hold that as opposed to be in community and be in relationship just Mm. is very hard. Um, and it's heartbreaking that in so many ways we do this to each other because of our inability to maybe be curious or be uncomfortable. And then it unnecessarily maybe creates pain on top of very real pain that is already being experienced. Well, I have to say, like you talk about childbirth and I'm going to tell you something that most people I'll share this because I, I haven't shared it. And I think I've been wanting to, and I think I've been holding on to this and I might get a little emotional. It's really, really hard, but So right before I was diagnosed, um, you know, obviously I went into the diagnosis. um, I'm not married. I I didn't, I did not have any children. Um, I have two nephews, Blake and Tyler, who I love, and they were like my own boys and I helped raise them and I love them. But I had thought long and hard and was really seriously thinking about adopting a child because I just thought like, I want to be a mom. And then I went into, or maybe even, you know, harvest my eggs, right? And then I went into this appointment uh, and I first met with my oncologist and she said to me in the first appointment, she's giving me everything that we're going to do. We're going to do chemo. We're going to do surgery. Then we're going to go into 45 straight days of radiation. Here's how you're going to feel. Here's the medicine I'm going to give you for anti-nausea. It's like an hour long appointment. And then she says to me at the very end, she says, there is one thing she was talking about putting in my port for chemo. And she says, there is one thing I have to ask you. And she said, do you want to, before we do all this, try to harvest your eggs quickly so that maybe later down the road that you can, somebody can have your child for you. And it just completely shocked me. I was not ready for that question. And I realized at that point in time, that I had very little time to make that decision, which is not fair. And I realized at that time that my chances of being a mom were probably over because of what I was about to go through. And I've never said this to anybody. That was the hardest thing for me to accept was that I'll never, I'll never be a mom, you know? And so, and it, and it's okay, but it's, this is hardcore like this is hardcore stuff and I just remember thinking like I looked at her and I said well how like when do you need to know if I want to harvest my eggs and and then I'm thinking like I know that it's costly and they're like and I had just gone through all of this like with chemo and everything and and she said well you know you got to kind of let me know now that is what cancer is real talk here real talk about what cancer is and that is what we go through we had to make you have to make split decisions because chemo was starting within weeks for me 
And I hear not only do you need to make these impossible decisions, but you're simultaneously grieving something you didn't expect to grieve in that moment, right? You're like, okay, I can grieve X, Y, or Z. And then you're blindsided by another loss that you didn't even think was part of the equation when you got this particular diagnosis. Yeah. The heaviest of all heaviness is just being thrown at you. The darkest of all darkest is there in that moment, in that clinical room, and you are thinking to yourself, I am not capable of making these decisions. And yet you've got to move, you know, time is of the essence in this. And um, unfortunately for me, you know, um, it didn't work out, but you know, hey, like a couple of weeks ago, I get to go to Ashley's house and I get to hang out with her kids and they make me like, you know, Sundays or something like that. Like it's, it's the greatest thing. So I get my kid love and my baby love in other ways. And that's how I'm going to fulfill that and, and live. And, you know, again, Chantal, it's not something that I can control. Right. And so I have to move, I have to move through it and past it. And that's yeah. what I've done. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I will just say like, I'm just having this image of you, Tammy, like coming into our house and you were walking with a cane. Cause I think outside the, you know, it was dark and it was raining yeah, and rainy. <laughs> and then, and you come in with like this beautiful bottle of wine and these incredible presents for my kids. And they just, it was like, they instantly, of course, were like enamored with you and the way that you played with them, talked to them. I mean, the, we have not put away that Scrabble game that you got for Cora. Like they are addicted to it. Alligator, um, alligator, crocodile, yeah. crocodile. <laughs> I've just seen you. It was a, it was a really cool moment for me as, as our friendship has evolved to like have you meet my kids and have that be a, yeah. you know, a moment. And I know, and I, you know, I've gotten to know Blake, one of your nephews really well yeah. and been able to, you know, connect with him when I've been down at UCLA and just, I know that you have been that presence of love and, you know, that, that mothering influence on people, even that you, even though you probably don't, hopefully you do know that and do feel it. But I even saw it in this little pocket with my kids, um, what that was like. So I thank you for sharing that. Obviously I, I know we, we, the first, it was the first time that you shared it with people and I, yeah. I really appreciate you being open about it because that is one of those things that, um, you know, how do you bring that up? Like, how is that something that you talk about? How do you, yeah, um, yeah man. Okay, well, I just want to say too, like, one, is there anything else? Uh, I mean, we, we could keep you for the rest of the day um, and talk about so many different things. I could talk, I mean, the two of you, I could just sit here and talk all day, but is there anything that you want to share that we haven't asked you? Cancer related, not cancer related, like what, yeah. whatever it may be. I just want to say that I wish everybody could have the my parents you know and i want to and i want to thank them um because like what it must be like for them to watch their child go through this like you have children you guys know like i think that if this happened to your child you would be devastated and i the way that they've handled it, um, I think it's the, I think it's the reason why I am who I am. There's no question the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, but they've handled it with love and support and grace and grief. They've they've gone through every emotion that I've gone through. So I wish that everybody could have my parents, and um, they are the greatest, and I love them, and I would not be here um, without them. 
and I just can't, there's, there's no way to thank them ever um, other than to take care of them. Oh. And I've gotten to know your mom a little bit just through text messages and I will, I, she is just, I, I love her. I haven't even met her in person and I, I love that yeah. woman. And I imagine your dad is the exact same way if they, uh, yeah. they brought you into the world. They must be pretty, pretty unbelievable people. We were going to close, we usually close these with a moment of gratitude. And I feel like that was, um, you know, kind of a perfect thing, but is there any, is there, are there any other people or things or moments that you want to shout out that you're feeling grateful for today, Tammy? All the moments where we come together and we advocate and that we, um, we share with each other where we share messaging that's really important, that's not fake, that's real, uh, because so much of what we share and we see on social media, you know, you don't know what to believe. But I'm, I'm so full of gratitude when I get to partner with organizations and people that want to do good for others, because I think kindness and helping others uh, where you can is just so important. So I'm so fortunate that my circle of people that I roll with are always about other people and never about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that is how I try to live my life. And, um, and I'm grateful that I get to um, surround myself and attach myself at the hip of, of others who think about others first. Like attracts like, and I think you are the, the beacon of someone who thinks about others, no matter what you have going on. Chantal, any uh, quick thoughts, moment of gratitude, anything you want to mention before we say goodbye? Um, I mean, Tammy, I am just like so grateful for your willingness to um, pull back the curtain on what you're experiencing, what it's meant, sharing parts of yourself. I, my experience of you in this limited time is like, you are a remarkably open-hearted human mm -hmm. who is willing to feel all the feelings and simultaneously willing to put one step, one foot in front of the other and figure out how to live the best life you can live and how to contribute in the best way possible. Um, I think another like small but really significant thing I'm grateful for in this conversation is just this um, triggering language that you're pointing out, right? Of, you know, I, I asked how the battle is and, and I think it's language matters so much because it has the ability to connect or disconnect us. And I feel so grateful just for your willingness to really say, look, this is like helpful or this is disconnecting um, so that we can be of support to each other and care for each other and not somehow say something that's going to create unintentional distance. So mm. thank you. Yeah. And I will just layer on top of that, co-sign everything that Chantal just said. She always says things way better than I, like they come out jumbled in my brain, but I'm like, that's what I meant to say. Um, thank you for making me so much more knowledgeable and in that way, such a better friend to not just you, but to other people who are dealing with stuff. You, you've taught me a lot about um, showing up for people and, and empathy and understanding and you know, I, I text you out of the blue sometimes and I know we there, there will be months that go by that we don't chat, but you are just always on my heart and I love you to death and I, I am a better person for knowing you, like truly. Um, I, I feel the same about you and you know I love you and thank you. Okay, we've got one little treat as we say goodbye. Um, this is like the extended moment of gratitude for Tammy. So I've got a few messages that I want to play um, on your way out, but thank you for joining us and... Let's do this again. You come back on this podcast anytime you want. Okay. All right. I'm in. I'm all in. 
Thank you, Tammy. Hey, Tammy. I uh, just wanted to quickly say how much I love and appreciate you for everything that you've done for me in my life. You're such a big role model to me. And one of the biggest things I admire about you is how you've been through so much in your life and you're still able to do it with a big smile on your face. You do it so gracefully and with love in your heart. It's such an admirable quality to have. Uh, and one of the biggest things I've learned from you is no matter what you're going through is to always just be kind and generous to others because you never know what they're going through. And uh, it's something that I try to do now because I've seen you do it so many times. So uh, I just want to say, once again, I love you. I hope you're doing well, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Tammy Blackburn, it's your old partner, Kate Scott. And the thing I admire most about you, uh, I'm thinking back to a game we called. I just looked at the picture a minute ago on my phone, January 2018. So it's been a minute, as the kids would say. Um, you are looking spectacular with your bald head. I'm in a bright pink shirt. It was uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Day at USC as they're playing Oregon State. And you told me before the game, listen, cancer may have taken my hair, but I'll be damned if it takes my life. And I have so admired before then and obviously since then, just your absolute desire and focus to attack life every single day and squeeze the most joy and fun and love out of it that you can. And anytime I'm having a low moment, uh, in life for whatever reason, right? First world problems. I just think back to that day and man, think back to Tammy, everything she was dealing with in that moment, coming and showing up and kicking the you know what out of that broadcast. So friend, thank you for just reaffirming something I knew before, but really um, bringing it home to me that day and in that moment. Uh, miss ya, love ya, not here without you. And thank you for showing me and all of us just to tackle the motherfucking shit out of life every single day. Sorry, not sorry for those words. Love you, Tammy. Hey, Tammy. Just wanted to take a quick second to let you know how appreciative I am for you and for everything that you've done for me in my life. It does not go unnoticed. I'm forever grateful for you for everything. Uh, it's definitely hard for me to pick one thing that I admire most about you, but definitely something that comes to the top of my mind is your kindness and generosity towards everybody. Uh, but just wanted to take a couple seconds to let you know how loved you are. Um, and I love you so much. What I admire so much about Tammy Blackburn is her uh, gift of being able to develop authentic relationships with people from all over the world and nurture those relationships. She's an incredibly supportive friend and I am so blessed to have her in my life and I, I just admire that in her so much. And one thing that stands out to me of so many things that inspire me about Tammy is her ability to be able to take challenges and difficulties uh, and transmute them into uh, creative action, transmute them into actually something quite beautiful that touches the lives in a positive way of not just the people that she knows, but also people that she doesn't know. And in that way, I think Tammy just is somebody that just makes the world a better place. And we just all love Tammy so much. This is quite a challenge. I don't know if I can articulate my love for TB in one quick little snippet, period. Not for the faint of heart, this challenge. Tammy, we've known each other for a long, long time. We've called games together, we've traveled together, we've celebrated together, and we have shared tears together. 
our history and our memories and our connection. The real deal, period, since day one. What I keep coming back to, though, is our time at the Pac-12 Network and how these last few years have been rewarding and terribly challenging, terribly difficult. And in some ways, I would use the word cruel. And yet, I don't think <laughs> you would land on that word because you're such a, a gamer. You're such a flippin' gamer. Thank you for inspiring me. Thank you for including me. Thank you for letting me in. Thank you for being there for me and allowing me, I hope, to be there for you. I like to think that there are a lot of years left in both of our tanks. And I also would like to think and bet money on the notion that we will be in each other's lives as long as there is gas in that tank. I love you to pieces. Thank you for being in my orbit and being the influence that you are. Hugs to you forever, Tammy Blackburn. Mad, mad love and respect. Hi, Tammy. It is so difficult to put into words how proud Dad and I are of you. You are one in a million. You were a bundle of energy when you came into this world, and you continue to be a bundle of energy. When life presents challenges, and you have had many, you continue to pick yourself up and fight the battle. Your compassion and generosity has brought and continues to bring hope and joy to many. Helping others seems to be in your DNA. Your vision of helping students at SDSU by creating the Courage Through Cancer Fund is just one of your many amazing accomplishments. You are an inspiration to young and old, and especially to dad and me. Proud parents we are, and we love you with all our hearts.